Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Net Positive Podcast. A podcast which educates and inspires marketers, product managers, and companies in the best way to generate and optimize your flows. We're your hosts, Matt Brown and Jess Walker, and we will bring you the latest on how to improve your signup flow, increase your leads, and grow your business. Let's Let's jump jump in. in. Today's episode is with the brilliant Wes Bush, the founder and CEO of Product Led a course and now a book for product managers and marketers to learn best practices when it comes to product-led growth. Wiz spends his day teaching SaaS businesses how to flip the old school sales playbook on its head and build products that sell themselves. He is a respected business consultant and understands that fancy marketing and hard sales can't replace the value a customer receives on an exceptional product. Today we learn the critical aspects of an onboarding flow, how to increase conversions from freemium to paid, and what exactly is user success. He is so high energy on this podcast, and we absolutely loved interviewing him. So let's dive in. G'day, Wes. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Well, look, we'd love to learn a little bit more about you. So, you know, it's probably best if you just give the listeners a little bit of your story today. Yeah, absolutely. You want the full download or just the quick version? The full download. (laughs) Totally. We can always cut later. Yeah, all the (laughs) nitty-gritty details. So basically... My whole career has been obsessed with this one thing that I refer to as the creation of demands. Like whenever I first, it started actually, I was helping my parents. This was like second year university and it was initially doing like lifeguarding. And I was like, I want to like use the skills I'm learning in school. So I actually ended up helping them with their uh, real estate business and doing Google ads. And so my first foray into this whole digital world was actually Google ads um, and what really sparked my interest around this whole thing, and I'll go into product lead growth in a bit, was just when I started these ad campaigns, these visitors turned into leads and those leads turned actually into customers that I could tangibly see. And from that moment, one thing has like stuck with me. I haven't been able to shake it as really just the whole concept of really, how do you create demands in a business? How do you figure out what people really want? And how do you create a product or a service or a way to really help people get what they want as effectively and efficiently as possible? And so that was my first introduction into this whole world of digital marketing. And since then, I was able to work at a bunch of other B2B SaaS uh, companies out of university and one thing I was always focused on there was the same thing. Like, how do I get as many leads as possible for some of these people uh, in the sales department? And I always would ask them, regardless of the company I was working at, you know what? Like, how are those leads uh, that I sent your way that I spent thousands and thousands of dollars <laughs> getting for you? Um, how are they? That was very Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross. And I was expecting a big like bundle of leads to come out there. <laughs> and so I was always having these conversations with the sales team and they're like, well, you know, sometimes they, they just don't know uh, who we are that well. Sometimes, you know, they don't know fully what the product is. And you know what? I started asking myself, why is that? Why are some of these leads, um, you know, kind of surprised when we're reaching out? And I looked at the ways we were marketing and a lot of it was just the traditional way at that time you were going to sell a SaaS service. 
and a lot of it, I'm sure you're pretty familiar with it too, is you might create a white paper or a guide and put it behind a lead form. And then you're going to direct some traffic to that landing page. And then boom, that person gets your white paper and you get the lead. And then maybe your sales team starts calling them up and really seeing if they're a good fit. So I just thought about that whole user experience. And I started really questioning it saying, you know what, is that actually the best way from my experience? Is that how I like to buy software? Is mm. it because I started reading a white paper? <laughs> yeah. And I kept saying, no, <laughs> like, no, I have actually never really done that um, for any company. And so then I started saying, well, if that's the way we're doing it now, like, what is the, the current way we're doing it? And so I just started going back to first principles of, you know what, what is the way I buy products personally? And when I look at like Slack or Dropbox, um, the products I was using at work day in, day out, I thought of that user journey and I started looking at it and said, I've never read a white paper for Slack. I've never read a white paper for Dropbox. Are you kidding me? I don't want to go to that landing page or the homepage and just download that white paper and read all about how cool it is to upload files to the cloud and then share them with friends. That sounds so boring. <laughs> and so um, that's really what got me thinking. I'm like, huh, there's something here. There's something juicy. Let me dig deeper into it. And so uh, it was about a year into, I was working at this company called Vidyard. We were doing like that whole traditional sales that approach, um, but we decided, you know what, let's try our hand at this product-led thing. That time it wasn't called product-led, but it was a freemium model. And that really... Um, just took off. We launched it, went from like zero to 100,000 users very quickly. Um, and so that really got me thinking about, you know what, this whole product thing, I was never from the product world, but I started looking at the product as, you know what, this isn't something you just sell. No, that's in a sales led company. You're looking at your product as like, this is what we're going to sell today. Mm -hmm. um, but in a product led company, it's really just like, this is how we're going to serve people. If we give them enough value in the free version, they're going to actually want to become our customer because they want continued access to that value. And so from that point on, I'm not going to say it was easy. I made so many mistakes along the way going from like a sales led to product led company. Um, but it's been a fascinating journey. I'm still really excited about this stuff because uh, it's really just looking at your product through that different lens of like, how could you use your product to really grow your business? Because I believe every team in a product with business can really use it to hit their goals. Um, and I'm happy to dive into that and many other topics around product-led growth. But um, that's the quick, not hour-long version <laughs> of the journey uh, from my background. Yeah, that's amazing. And, so, and you also wrote a book? Yeah, so um, Precursor, before the book, I actually had a course around product-led growth. Mm -hmm. um, and I probably made like the the typical rookie mistake you would make when doing a course, you take this topic, product-led growth, uh, that's what it was, and created the course around it. And as I was like doing it live and presenting it, I just started realizing like, oh my goodness, like this topic is monumental. Like there's so much uh, I just didn't even know because when you're really teaching, you have to really research and dig into a topic to a whole nother level to really understand it, to simplify it for others. 
And so as I was doing that, I was like, <laughs> kept bumping into this iceberg of product-led growth. And I just saw the top. Initially, I thought it was like, you know, it's just like free trial, premium models at the beginning. Uh, you get people in the door. But then I started to realize there's so much more behind it. So the book was actually... Uh, my attempt at understanding product-led growth uh, to a whole nother degree to really give people and my clients at that time really just the playbook of like, here's how you can build a successful product-led mm -hmm. business. One of the interesting things with product-led growth, you know, in, in the startup world, there's there's a lot of buzzwords that are thrown around, but, you know, product-led growth is one that's definitely sticking and, and seems like it's here to stay. You know, how are you seeing it, you know, in companies? Is, is it on the rise? Is it moving fast? You know, are we at the start or is it getting to maturity? Yeah, we're definitely, this is just the beginning. And what's exciting about it too is it's really sticking. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of teams, uh, even today that I've talked to, where they're trying to change their entire business. And I'm not just talking about the, you know, small companies. I'm talking about publicly funded companies who are looking at making this multi-billion dollar change in their business wow. because they see this as something that, you know what, if we don't change this, some competitor, someone else is going to figure out how to do this model in the small and medium-sized business area, and we're not even going to be able to mm. compete because our customer acquisition costs are sky high, and we just can't keep milking these enterprise cows forever. We're going to have to figure out how we can accomplish and conquer that SMB space because uh, more and more businesses are in that space. That's just the reality. And so if you don't figure out how to conquer that space, you leave a really big uh, place for your business just get checked. How do you turn the ship when you you know you're a billion dollar business and you know you've been doing things one way and I bet you there's a bunch of marketing managers in you know sort of you know top 500 companies right now listening to this going, okay, we need to take <laughs> those white papers down. We need to you know change a bunch of people around. Like like how do you get started when you're a, you know a massive ship? I remember I was working at Vidyar. The CTOs like you know when you're a startup you're kind of like a jet ski. <laughs> and, you know, as you grow bigger, you know, you get like 10 people, kind of like one of those mid-sized speedster boats. And then you become like the thousand plus, uh, you know, company. You become a cruise ship. A carnival cruise ship. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and so it's just like, it is totally uh, a whole nother ballgame when you think of that change. How do you do it? And I have seen these companies at the thousand plus employee levels make this change. But here's the thing it's never one and done. It's nice. a journey. And so where you start uh, doesn't necessarily matter as much as just starting and getting some momentum. So that's really uh, where I recommend people look at is like, what are some of the small wins you could get to really start getting people to think about um, how we could start using this product to uh, service our customers better. And for some companies, to give you an example, um, they didn't do anything like with their self-serve free trial freemium model. They didn't have any of that yet. They just said to themselves, let's apply these same principles, but just to our customers. So from the onboarding perspective, right now they might have like four customer success onboarding calls they have to do with every single customer. So then I just say, well, look at each of those calls. What could be done by your product? Maybe you could just guide people through it when they first sign in and boom, one call down, three more left. Okay, what's the next thing you can mm. do to either automate or personalize it um, without sacrificing any quality, but just giving more ownership to the user? And so that's one great example you could do. I've also seen companies where 
they just decide, you know what? We're going to launch this free trial free model. It's not even going to be done yet. We're going to have a landing page, um, but we're just going to show this free trial option to like 1% of our website visitors, just 1%. Mm. We're going to have a few people, maybe just one person initially dedicated towards answering and helping these people and walking them through um, how to go through that free trial experience so they can understand where the bumps are, where it's really hard for the users to understand how to use your products. Um, but that's really what you could do uh, initially to really get started. And the other thing is just get the data because if you're going to make any case to the, any other teams, um, it really does help if you can say, I moved X needle on X. Mm -mm. And I believe, I have a hunch, if we do the same in your team, you might see some really cool results too. You're on board to try this out. Um, it can become just as simple as that. Talking about the onboarding and sign-up flow and the importance of that straight line between, you know, the sign-on point to the point of first value and, and maybe delaying asking a few questions or delaying, you know, asking for email verification. What do you think about that? One of the big sins <laughs> of onboarding <laughs> is really just treating it like this one trick pony. Like, mm. hey, we are going to onboard you all today. Like everything in the product, you betcha. Mm. We're going to show you how to do every single thing. And if you have like a small product, that does like one specific thing. Maybe that's fine. Maybe you should stay with that. But I'm talking and poking fun at those multi-product companies where you know the ones I'm talking about. As soon as you go in, it's like a never ending like next step. They want to know everything. You don't, you don't want to do the 90 day course to learn <laughs> out how to use a word processor? Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. So like, there's so many examples that are like cringeworthy, especially whenever I see them now. So I'm like, oh, their conversion rate must be terrible on this. Um, so when it comes to the onboarding experience and really figuring out how do you optimize it, how do you help people um, experience the value of your product? The first step is really just get crystal clear on what is user success. And that is multifaceted. It's not just one thing. Mm. A lot of people look at their product and they say, you know, it's if we look at intercom or drift, you can have conversations on your website. Okay, great. Like that's the functional job of your product, but it actually does a lot more than that. There's social jobs, there's emotional jobs that your product can help people with. Uh, maybe one of those emotional jobs is just making that sales rep, whoever is answering a lot of those conversations, um, they feel really needed because they're able to help these customers in real time. They feel valued that they're able to do that. Um, social, maybe from their boss's perspective, they are just seen as you know the person who is uh, extremely helpful. They're always there helping their customers and up in line for promotion. So there's a lot of interesting things that your product can do from a user success perspective. Um, but it's important to just understand what is that because the step below that mm. end user success is really just the quick win. Like, okay, what does someone have to do in order to get to that end user success? And so I mentioned like Drift, Intercom, all thrown a bunch of others, like Hotjar, Google Analytics. Um, each of these products has one thing, just one thing that you must, absolutely must do. They all share it. You want to take a guess what it is? I can't think of anything. <laughs> Email verification? Nope. <laughs> nope. Uh, so it's uploading the script, the JavaScript to your website. Oh, yeah. yeah. So like for Drift, for instance, you wouldn't be able to have a conversation if you mm -hmm. didn't upload that script mm -hmm. to your website. 
Google Analytics, you want to understand, you know, who's using my website if yeah. Google didn't actually have a script on your website. So every one of those products had something they absolutely needed to do. And when you're thinking about your own product, you know, it might just be an integration. It mm. might just be, oh, you need to like put something in here. But every product, every product has one of these things. And you need to understand what that is because you have to prioritize that in your first time user onboarding experience. And the reason, even in my book, like I focused almost exclusively on the first time user onboarding experience is because you're going to lose 40 to 60% of your users, first time users in that first experience. So that's just like, boom, they sign up, they go to your product, they never come back 40 to 60% of users. And so the straight line onboarding experience, if you really want to understand how to do it, um, there's really three steps. The first one is really what we kind of talked about is understand end user success. Then you go down the step below, understand what is that mission critical step that you need to get people towards. And then what you're going to do is just go through your current onboarding experience as is. And I like to, you could even do it with Zoom or you could do it with some simple Chrome extension and just record your screen as you're signing up for your product yourself and try and complete what it takes to get to that first experience of value. And then what I do after is just go into Trello screenshot every single step. It can sound tedious, but make sure you do that. And then what you're gonna do is really just, I call it the green, yellow, red light system. And so as you go through that experience, try and identify, okay, what do we have here that is completely unnecessary? If right. we just got rid of it, we just deleted it, you know, would it really impact anything? Mm. And most companies, I've done this in like a workshop format live enough times to know that most companies can just shave off anywhere from like 10 to 30% of their steps uh, without batting an eye. They're mm. like, I don't know why we had that, <laughs> yeah. um, but it sounded relevant <laughs> whenever we were launching. Yeah, um, they had it, so we need it. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. you do have these steps. And then the next layer below, the yellow lights, is really just, what are those advanced steps? Um, what does someone need to do, uh, maybe in the future, but not right now. Mm. And so that's another thing at the beginning I was mentioning, like the one trick pony. Okay. That's usually for the, the product marketing team or the product team that wanted to just onboard people in one shot. So just try and think about, um, how could we do contextual onboarding? I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. So Slack, for instance, uh, do you use Slack? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, who doesn't use Slack? I didn't yeah. read the white paper though. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't read the white paper. <laughs> With Slack, at the very beginning of their onboarding experience, they don't ask you, like, let's set up all your integrations right now and mm. you can get the most value out of Slack. No, it's actually, if you think about it, it's pretty smart. Whenever you share a Google Drive link with someone, they prompt you, hey, did you know we had this Google Drive integration? It actually makes this more easy and useful for you so you can you know, change the sharing settings on some of these documents before you send them. It's useful. It's contextual. It's based on what someone's doing. Mm. So if you think of as someone's exploring your product, hey, if they're in that part of the product, kick it off. Kick off that onboarding experience. They already showed their intent. Just help them out there. You don't need to do it right at the beginning. So we've shaved off the unnecessary steps. Those are your red steps. We have eliminated or delayed the yellow steps. Those are your advanced ones. You're basically left with, or you should be left with, what are those mission critical steps? Yeah. And so those are the steps that you absolutely have to have in your first time user onboarding experience to get someone to experience the value 
of your product. And every time I see a company go through this process and really just identify just the mission critical steps and then build out their onboarding experience to just have those steps, you will see a monumental boost in your monthly recurring revenue because the tie to helping your users experience the value of your product and them actually rewarding you with becoming paying customers, it's almost a direct correlation between mm, you totally. helping people, serving people, and they're saying, I just like this product. It actually is useful. It, it helps me. Yeah. The friction's gone. And it's, re- it's really interesting. You know, a number of the people that sort of we speak to on a day-to-day basis are just getting started out. So I'd, I'd actually love some of your thoughts on, you know, you're a first-time founder, okay? And it's your first time thinking about getting your product in customers' hands. You know, how early is it to go through this journey and to start product-led growth? Like, do you start it from day one or, you know, you know what do you need to do first? It really depends on your market, your product, and also your audience and time to value. So I call it the moat framework for anyone who's trying to think about like, should I do this right now Mm -hmm. or later? Because um, there's this great quote uh, from friends who works at Salesforce and it's basically like, product-led growth is the only distribution model that makes sense when a market is mature. So it's less about like, should you become product-led? It's more about when. When is the right time for you to be product-led? Um, I'll give you some instances of where that makes sense. So let's say you think about your ocean condition. So your entire market, how competitive is it? If you're going into a market that's extremely competitive, there is tons and tons of competitors. You're all spending a lot of money trying to acquire the same customer. Mm. And so you, in order to be effective and really capitalize on that market and get a good chunk of that market share, you need to have one of the most efficient business models in order to succeed. Um, Because people are always trying to cost cut and everything else, you want to have margins there. So you really, if it is that situation, exactly, you're in a very competitive space, absolutely, it makes sense. But if let's say you're trying to introduce a new category and everything else, in that particular instance, you might just say, hey, uh, this is a blue ocean now, our sales team, they're actually providing a ton of value because people don't quite understand the problem here. And by us having even a sales team, they're providing good value. So there's no reason we should have this yet until people start understanding this and become more solution aware around how to solve their problem. Because whenever you think about live chat software, okay, great. There's like thousands of solutions nowadays Mm. to solve that problem. And so it's really just a matter of, okay, uh, at that stage, be product-led. And the other thing is really your audience. So how do people typically interact in your particular industry? Are they tech savvy? Are they really laggards in industries? Um, I'll give you an example, (laughs) since I can pick on my parents in this one, real estate (laughs) agents. Real estate agents are laggards in technology. There's a perfect example. So if you're in a space like that, um, that might mean you will have to hold off on being product-led for a little bit Mm -hmm. until more and more of that industry moves on to become technology. And so the last one is just time to value. So if you have a very long time to value, it takes maybe months for you to experience the value of your product. Um, That can mean maybe potentially, that's not the right product just yet. Maybe you have to do more tweaking from the UX perspective to help people um, move past that. Maybe you just need to do that straight line onboarding activity I just referenced. Um, But all in all, you just need to 
accept that that's the case. It's long and maybe it's not the right time until you fix something. But I've also seen people um, think about that. It's like, oh, I got this main product. It's got a very long time to value. Let's look at HubSpot, for instance, like a CRM tool. It's super long time to value. What are the extension products or the complementary products that do have a quick time to value it would actually bring more value to this product. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen this uh, ConvertKit recently. They have an email marketing tool and they just launched like free landing pages and you can create it 100% free software. But it's just a complimentary product with a quick time to value right. that you leak with their main product. And so there's a lot of ways you could approach it. You're basically building trust early on with something a little bit smaller, a little easier, and then, and then bringing them in later on to your sort of bigger, more cumbersome product. Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> so when we're talking about a product-led company starting out or sales-led converting to product-led, um, what's your preferred stack of third-party products a team can rely on? Yeah, so uh, from my perspective, I'm completely product agnostic mm-hmm. uh, from this, but I will give you like categories of nice. things you need to have. So at the base layer, it's data. It's always been data. You need to understand your product data. And where a lot of sales-led companies um, where they just don't have that data. They have a lot on the marketing front. They're great at that. Um, but then from the perspective of, oh, okay, these people actually go into the product, having that understanding of what is going on with these users, because that stuff is going to become very important, even to the sales team. Um, eventually, when you think about this whole transition, even from metrics, moving from less of like marketing qualified leads to more product qualified leads, um, that product data is and has to be there um, and, and also one other little thing, I know some big enterprise teams, like they'll have a specific, uh, maybe they've outsourced this or something like that. Uh, I would actually recommend against that. Like maybe that's a place to start to mm-hmm. get it set up, but you want to have something that your staff can easily go into play around with and really mimic the data to see, you know, what are the trends here and what is happening in our users um, versus just outsourcing that component of understanding your core users. Um, because that should be a core competency, I believe. And so whether you use like Amplitude, Heap, Mixpanel, um, those are kind of the main three of that. There's a whole lot others. There's even data warehouses and you get geek out about that for a <laughs> long time. Um, but those are like the, the initial data layer um, that I would recommend you have. Now there's two other components if you're gonna help your user succeed. Uh, one of them, well actually both of them come from the bowling alley framework. So I th- reference, in this framework, like a product bumper, like how do you actually, you know, proactively guide people and help them see um, the value of the product? And so um, there's like app queues, there's Pendo, there's uh, user list, like there's a bunch of these tools that all just focus on really guiding you through your product. And why I recommend something like that, uh, although you could build it out yourself too, is it's just really quick tests to see, you know what? Maybe this order, maybe these steps have an outsized impact on helping these users get to that core outcome and see value in that first-time user experience. And then the last component is really just the conversational bumper. So how do you help people and really bump them along? Because we all know, just like starting a new habit or anything else, I mean, given that it's 
beginning of the year. Like people are more familiar about this than ever before. Okay. So like seven days into the new year, um, are you prompting people to really uh, commit to their new year's resolution? Because this is where it gets hard. (laughs) So (laughs) the same thing goes like, if you have that straight line onboarding experience, you can look at it and say, you know what? Step three, we lose like 20% of people. So, okay, we need to know that from the data perspective, but then you also have to realize that it's your job as a company to go in and say, okay, uh, for those 2,000 or 20,000 people over the year who didn't do that step, what could we do to help them? And that might be in the form of an email, pretty simple. It could also be in the form of really just live chat, could be more support and making that easier for people to understand how you could do it. It could also be, I've seen this in a few other really incredible product-led companies, proactive support. Let's say they get to a page. It's a very hard integration to make, but it's mission critical for them to do it. Well, they're on the page for 30 seconds or more that you can tell the mouse is going everywhere like, oh no. And then boom, pop up. Would you like some help with our product expert? Who doesn't want to click that? It's proactive support. It's helpful. It is a conversational bumper. So um, the tool you could use for that, I mean, pop-ups are a dime a dozen. I'm sure <laughs> everyone here listening knows at least a couple. Um, but then for the other part, there could be like customer.io for the email. Uh, you even use like SendGrid or anything else for that. Um, there's tons of solutions for that. But um, that's kind of the three categories. So like the data layer, the product bumper, and then the conversational bumper. Make sure you at least have some tools initially for them. And if you're a startup, uh, you can mash these together pretty quickly uh, with some basic tools. It doesn't have to cost you a lot. Oh, that, that, that's awesome. And yeah, I think, you know, moving from the technology stack to the people stack, you know, when you think about the humans, you need to be really effective here. And, you know, again, when you were talking about sort of big ships turning or whether you're thinking about an early founding team, you know, when, you, when you're hiring for product-led growth, like what are some of the human traits you need in your people stack to be really effective? Like after interviewing hundreds of product-led leaders, there's two patterns that keep popping up again and again. So the first one is you need a reliable way to build customer empathy, user empathy. And so how you do that? Oh my goodness, there's a million ways. I'll give you some of my favorite. Um, So there's like Wistia, they used to do like full story Fridays uh, when you could go in person. And I can still do it virtually, but it would just be a lunch. They'd order pizza and review, like how are people actually using your product? Just watching the user recordings. And like Buffer, RD Station, like what they'll do if there's like a big project they're working on, um, their user researcher will just invite everyone who's a part of that project to those interviews. And just being able to see like, how is this user actually going to use this product? What are potentially some of the biggest objections some of these team members have? Um, and how could we really uh, like poke and prod this user to give us their perspective on this mm-hmm. um, so they can hear from the user and it's not just you know the person with the loudest voice wins. And so that's like one of the, the biggest key disciplines you need to have in a product-led team and company. The other one is really just constant experimentation. And it sounds so simple. It's like, of course, of course that has to be there because this is a learning thing. And like I mentioned earlier, it's not a destination, it's a journey. And becoming product-led is like, you always have to proactively see what are some things that will help us 
um, get closer towards this uh, better future um, by just testing and taking small wins. And then eventually, once you win and get some nice wins under your belt, take bigger swings and go from there. And so from a team perspective, what that might look like for uh, what that team is called. I've seen like heads of R&D uh, like lead this initiative. I have seen like the growth team, the marketing team, the CMO, even the product team, and also the CEO. But what I would recommend if you want, like really to get people involved in this team to make it a success is really try and convince your leadership around what are the main benefits of product-led growth? Get them motivated, get them excited about what this could mean for the future of the business. Because um, if you don't get leadership on board, it can be an uphill battle. Mm -hmm. I've been in that situation myself and it is hard. It's like pushing a rock up a hill, especially when you're in a well-established sales-led business. When talking about KPIs for product-led growth, what, what kind of KPIs do you focus on and has that changed in the last few years as well? Or is it staying consistent? Yeah, so one of the biggest KPIs uh, that has changed and is still in like its current early evolution of its days is called the product qualified lead. And so what it basically is, is you're looking at what are your users doing within the product? Now you're still like a marketing qualified lead. You're still actually looking at like the firmographic data and the company data to see like, you know what, is this a good lead at mm -hmm. the end of the day? We want to know that. So check, check on that. And then beyond that, has this person actually experienced any meaningful value in the product? And so why that's really important and why you should measure product by leads is because it really unifies every team, if you think about it. If your team is actually focused on how can we get as many people as possible to experience the value of our product, what do you think is going to happen? What's, what's the next step for that user? What are they going to do once they experience the value of your product? They're probably going to say, if I want more of this, I'm going to pay for it. That's the next yeah. step for them. And so um, that's really one of the metrics I strongly encourage any company, even if you're early on and you don't even have a free trial for model, try and just identify back to that straight line onboarding experience. We talked about end user success. And then that first step, maybe that first step is just getting some little quick win. If we look at Drift or Intercom, any live chat software, maybe it's that first conversation or first hundred conversations on your website. So try and identify that, make that part of your product qualified lead mm. metric. It doesn't have to be fancy, mm. but just start measuring it because initially it's going to be like a gut punch. It's going to be like, oh my goodness. Everyone has a plan to get punched in the face, you know? <laughs> so that's basically what I'm advocating for here. Get yourself punched in the face and then you'll realize, oh my goodness, I really have to improve and then figure out. Um, how we can help these users become more successful because at the end of the day, it's going to be worth it. <laughs> Wes, that, that's, that's awesome. Look, Wes, really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Wes Bush is the founder and CEO of Product Led. Uh, he authored Product Led Growth, How to Build a Product That Sells Itself. And I think that would be a gut punch or a punch to the face to some of those big ships and hopefully a wake up <laughs> call and you know they'll start their journey towards product led growth. Thanks for coming on the podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Wes. Thank you for listening to the Net Positive Podcast brought to you by Upflowy.